If you're new to church or visiting, then uh, not only are you welcome, but let me uh, tell you what we've been doing over the last number of weeks. The London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, uh, originally founded by the late John Stott, uh, is now directed by Mark Green, and uh, he has produced a series of DVDs called Fruitfulness on the Front Line. And uh, we have been looking at those over the last number of weeks, and we come near to the end of the series this morning, uh, the title Mouthpiece for Truth and Justice. I'll come back to uh, those titles in uh, a moment or two, but let's just uh, sit back and listen to the next installment from Mark Green, Mouthpiece for Truth and Justice. Previously in this series, we've looked at four ways in which we might be fruitful on our front lines. There's modelling godly character, there's making good work, there's ministering grace and love, and there's moulding the culture around us. And perhaps you've already become more aware of the ways in which God is already working through you and more alert to the opportunities that you have right where you are. I hope, too, that you've got to know the particular challenges and opportunities of the people in your group and that you are finding ways to support one another out there. And we do need each other's support. After all, where there's a front line, there are people. And where there are people, stuff happens. Good things, bad things, things that put a spring in your step and a beam on your face, and things that sadden you, anger you, puzzle you. Things that you really need other people's wisdom and prayers to help you with. This session is about being a mouthpiece for truth and for justice. About being the kind of people who will know when to speak up and how to speak up when something really needs to be said. tell you a true story. Jeremy had just been made redundant after 10 years of excellent work for a leading property company with a magnificent reputation for high ethical standards. His boss, not a Christian, had also been made redundant, but he'd identified for Jeremy a job in another company that he thought would be just right for Jeremy. Jeremy, however, didn't think that that job was right for him. His boss And Mike miffed, asked him, why not? Jeremy replied, well, he said, I just just don't think that this is the job that God has for me right now. Well, there's no arguing with that, is there? Curiously, the job that Jeremy did think was right for him was with a company with a distinctly dubious reputation. His Christian friends questioned the wisdom of that. It seemed like a recipe for disaster. But Jeremy pursued the opportunity, but he did want to make sure that the company knew the kind of person they were getting, so that if ethical issues did arise in the future, they wouldn't be surprised by his response. So yes, he wrote on his CV the fact that he was a Christian, but also at the interview, he made a point of saying to the owner, I want you to know that I'm a Christian, and so I try to have high ethical, moral 
and legal standards. Interestingly, the owner made no comment at all, perhaps because he felt that he himself had similar standards, or perhaps because he was serenely unaware that either he or his company had anything but saintly reputations. Of course, Jeremy knew that people and organisations do not change overnight, that good intentions do not always lead to good actions. But he was convinced that this was the place that God had for him, even if he knew that it might mean that one day he would have to resign on a point of principle. The first time that he was challenged on a point of principle was on his very first day. People around him told him that he wouldn't be able to budge the boss on this one. But as far as Jeremy was concerned, the action that the company wanted to take was not only immoral, was not only unethical, it was actually plain illegal. Well, he stuck to his guns. And over time, though it definitely didn't change overnight, with courage and determination, the boss did budge. 18 months later, and the challenges keep on rolling on. A couple of weeks ago, he was walking his nine-and-a-half-year-old daughter to school. And she said to him, Dad, you don't seem so happy these days. Why is that? And he said to her, well, there's a lot of issues at work at the moment, and, and they seem to want me to do some things which I just don't think are right as a follower of Jesus, and, and I might have to resign. Well, she said, that would be the right thing to do. It's a bit like me at school with my friend Ella. Everybody wants me to ignore her, but I won't do it. It's just not fair, and they're giving me a really hard time about it. I wonder where that nine-and-a-half-year-old girl learned such fantastic integrity. It's obvious, isn't it? It's obvious that God clearly called Jeremy to that company to bless it, to help it to become a place of truth and justice, a place of truth-telling and right dealing. But there's been a cost, a cost to him and to his family. There's been suffering and perhaps more to come. It's often the way, isn't it? Evil is not easily dethroned and our opposition is not always merely flesh and blood. Still, if Jeremy's challenge was systemic, daily and over the medium term, for most of us, probably the opportunities to become a champion for truth and justice just pop up as we're going about our daily lives. What do we do when there's a particularly succulent morsel of gossip whisking its way around our sports club? Or when someone in the family is being blamed for something they, they didn't do? It wasn't like that, Dad. She didn't mean it that way. Or what do we do when the wrong person is getting the blame at work? Or when the wrong person is getting the credit? God hates lies. And God loves truth. But that doesn't mean it's always easy to stick up for truth, does it? A parent is whinging on at the school gate about a teacher that she thinks is incompetent and lazy. But actually, you've never heard anything negative from your daughter only how everyone likes her and appreciates the way the homework gets marked really swiftly. Now, in a group situation like that, it can still be quite hard to say anything. So I wonder, what might you say? 
Well, you might say, well, that, that doesn't sound like her at all. I found her really approachable. I'm sure she'd be mortified if she thought that you had those concerns. Why don't you go and ask her about it? You'll have your own ways, of course, that suit your personality. Personally, I find a swift right hook particularly effective. But speaking up for truth and justice can, as we saw with Jeremy, be about big challenges. It might involve sticking up for your neighbour in a dispute with a local council or sticking up for an elderly parent. It might involve blowing the whistle on a builder who's dangerously flouted safety standards. Or it might involve challenging a work colleague about the hours being charged to a particular client. Such situations require courage and tact to resolve well. Of course, even when you know something's wrong, you don't necessarily go in all guns blazing. You'll recall in the book of Samuel that King David commits adultery with Bathsheba. And when his attempts at a cover-up fail, he arranges for the murder of her loyal officer husband Uriah. So when God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David, wisdom is required. David, after all, has already had one officer murdered. What's to stop him killing Nathan too? Now, there might have been a lot of ways for Nathan to try to liberate David from his unconfessed sin. He could have gone straight in and addressed him as a husband. How would you feel if a man treated one of your wives that way? Or he might have perhaps been a little bit more subtle. You know, David, I was having my quiet time today and I found myself reading the Ten Commandments and was once again struck by how liberating they are, particularly the Sixth and Seventh Commandments. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. Not sure why. (laughs) Still, when God does send Nathan to confront David, God isn't doing it to condemn him. He's doing it to liberate him from his guilt, to communicate the consequences of what he's done, and to restore their relationship. Indeed, when Nathan speaks up, it opens up a better future for David. The truth sets David free. Of course, Nathan finds a rather clever way to tell David. Still, we don't always find the right words, do we? We become tongue-tied, and the other person may just be so much sharper than us. There's one person I was never, ever able to win an argument against. I always ended up feeling stupid and embarrassed and misunderstood, just pathetic, really. Afterwards, I think about all the brilliantly incisive things I should have said that would have carried the day. But sometimes our job isn't to win. Our job is just to run the flag of truth up the flagpole. So we stick up for truth and we stick up for justice. Now, in the Bible, the word justice has a broader meaning than just legal rights and wrongs. It embraces right living and fair dealings. So you can be a mouthpiece for right living by speaking biblical wisdom into a situation like Jeremy did. Or you can be a mouthpiece for right living and fair dealings by suggesting to your boss that Sachin really deserves a bonus, because he really does. You can be a mouthpiece for right living and fair dealings by suggesting to your bowls club, your golf club, your football club, that they buy fair trade coffee or by writing to your MP about the supermarket that they are proposing to build right in the centre of your town. People might not pay any attention the first time, or the second time, or even the third time, but many of us can remember when, for example, pretty much no one recycled anything, 
And then it was clear glass bottles. And then it was clear glass bottles and brown and green glass bottles. And then cans. And now we've got plastic bins outside our houses for pretty much everything, from aerosols to toenails. Change can take time. But good change is worth persevering for. I wonder, where is there untruth and injustice on your front line? There is a time to speak the truth with grace. May the Lord give you wisdom to know that time and the courage to speak. Well, now let's pick up uh, part of that story that Mark referred to in terms of David and uh, the evil that he had done and uh, the story of Nathan the prophet coming uh, to speak to him. So we read 2 Samuel 12 and verses 1 to 13. Let's hear God's word together. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle, taking one of his own, uh, sorry, rather, uh, taking for the traveler Let me start reading that verse again. I should actually read the script. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man. And said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king of Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. But I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, 
I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to hear something from your word this morning that will challenge us, that will encourage us, perhaps rebuke us, but above all, encourage us to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice on our front line. In Jesus' name, amen. So far in the series, we have looked, uh, first of all, at the big picture, uh, what being fruitful for God might look like on our daily front lines as we live for Jesus. Then secondly, we looked at the first of uh, what are going to be six M's, modeling godly character, making good work, ministering grace and love, molding culture, and this morning we come to our fifth M, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice. Mark Green referred to in the uh, DVD, and I wonder, have you ever actually asked yourself the question, how many commandments did King David break? He certainly broke the sixth and the seventh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. He definitely broke the tenth commandment about not coveting another man's wife, amongst other things mentioned in the commandment. In my view, he broke others. He uh, broke a commandment about not making idols out of anything uh, in, in the world around about us. He'd made an idol out of sex. Uh, he probably broke uh, commandments about theft. He had stolen another man's wife. He had stolen another man's life. Uh, and you can see that David begins to uh, have a, a, a devastating effect upon his own walk with God and upon the lives of others through his sinful disobedience and his giving in to temptation. Indeed, in uh, James chapter 2 and verse 10, uh, we read something that I think is quite sobering for many of us. It is a reminder that when we break one of the commandments, we in effect break all of the commandments. James 2 and verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. It's a bit like that jar of uh, clear, clean water. And when you put one droplet of ink into the water, it is just one droplet amongst the whole jar of water, but the whole of the jar of water becomes discolored. So break one commandment, we in effect break all the commandments and spoil our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And so here we have in the story of David, the king of Israel, gifted that position by God, as Nathan reminds him. A king who was called to lead the people with integrity and justice. And in the story of David and Bathsheba and David's murder of Uriah by the sword of the Ammonites, uh, we understand that David was in a sense acting as any other king of his time and generation. He did as kings did. But yet, Israel's kings were to be different. They were to be accountable to God. You would think that David knew that, and I suspect he probably did. But when we allow sin to germinate in our minds, things can get out of control, 
even our logic can become faulty. So how would and how could God confront King David with the enormity of his sin? When we think of the story of David and Bathsheba, I guess we we spend a lot of time thinking of David and what he was doing wrong and how his sin unfolded and how uh, devastation followed, but we maybe don't think that much of Nathan. And so I want to pick up on some of the thoughts that Mark mentioned in the DVD about uh, the the role of Nathan uh, in this situation. Maybe some people thought David had got away with it. Maybe David himself thought he'd got away with it. After all, he was the king. He could cover up his private feelings by sending people to do this and to do that and to make things happen the way he wanted them to happen. But when you think of Nathan, Nathan was coming to speak to David as a mouthpiece of truth and justice. He was coming to a king who had already murdered a man he had found inconvenient. He was coming to a king who had tried to hide his adultery in making Bathsheba pregnant. Uh, And, and, well, I needn't go into the story. I'm sure you know it uh, very, very well. He was coming to an absolute ruler who, if had said off with his head, Nathan would have lost his life. And so Nathan didn't rush into things but chose his time wisely. Commentators think it was possibly up to a year after David uh, married Bathsheba that Nathan came into the presence of the king uh, to speak to him. And this king, as I said, was not just an absolute ruler. He was a, a man whose hands had been bloodied many times in battle. He was an absolute ruler and a man not to be meddled with. And so Nathan undertook to confront David. In fact, as I look at the story, I think there are four things that Nathan shows us that we, if we want to be on our front lines, mouthpieces of truth and justice need to take note of. First of all, Nathan's courage. I said a moment ago that David could have had him killed. He was a man who had already abused his power to get his own way. Prophets in Israel were dispensable. Many prophets met sticky ends, and so Nathan could have also. If you or I seek to confront untruth and injustice in the workplace, we could face dismissal, we could face unpopularity, all kinds of things. If we confront what is wrong in our families, we could lose friends and destroy relationships. But what do you and I do when we see friends or family or colleagues making shipwreck of their lives. Maybe we see someone taking shortcuts in work, like the man Jeremy that Mark mentioned who was asked to do something unethical, immoral, and frankly illegal. Have we the courage to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice? I love the story that Nicky Gumbel tells in the Alpha Course of a man who went to work as the right-hand secretary uh, in the office of the managing director of a very large uh, firm with multiple uh, outlets throughout the United Kingdom. Uh, And uh, one morning the boss came in and he said to this man, if uh, so-and-so rings me, tell them I'm out. And sure enough, a few minutes later the phone went and the person asked for the boss And the secretary said, he's just in the next door office. I'll put you through. 
After the phone call, the boss came to the guy and he was absolutely livid. Uh, He said, didn't I tell you not to put that person through to me? And the reply was, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. And I'm not prepared to do either. And as he said those words, it may have crossed his mind that the boss could sack him on the spot. But he stood up as a mouthpiece for truth and justice. And according to Nicky Gubble, became the most trusted employee the managing director of that company had. It takes courage to stand up for what we think is right. And David is reminded by Nathan that he is not a power-wielding absolute king, but a man before God. He is a man answerable to the king of kings. And therefore, for us, no government, no organization, no leader, no boss, no church, No parent, no child, no friend is above God's law. And I wonder, will we have the courage of a Nathan to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice wherever we find it lacking? But secondly, we notice Nathan's tact. He did something very simple, but I think rather brilliant. He told a story. And the story was simple, but maybe he believed that in spite of David's recent sinful actions... There remained underneath a man with a decent sense of justice. And, of course, he drew David into the story to such an extent that the king got on his arrogant high horse and he ruled that the rich man in the story was deserving of death. So Nathan didn't come into David's presence and shout at him. In Ulster, we use a little phrase, goldering. He didn't come and golder. Uh, at David and shout, My Lord, you're a lustful, lying adulterer, a deceitful, murdering disgrace of a king who deserves to rot in hell. Didn't come into David's presence like that. It is easy when we are faced with a situation to react to injustice and lies from others and speak out, to speak out of anger, to speak out with resentment or self-interest or a judgmental spirit. Nathan waited, as I said earlier, possibly a year, during which time, no doubt, he sought to make sure of the evidence of what he had understood to have happened, looking at what was going on in the palace. And so when he felt that time was right to confront David, he did so tactfully. So much so that David, before he realized, had condemned himself out of his own mouth. If you want to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice... Please, please do not go at it like the proverbial bull in a china shop. We need tact and we need grace to do it. And then thirdly, I really respect Nathan's honesty. When David reacted angrily at the injustice the rich man in the story uh, was, was guilty of, Nathan didn't shoot and miss the wall. When David said, that man is deserving of death, Nathan spoke honestly to the king and said, you are the man. Well, now, that was straight talking. The right time, in the right place, at the right moment. And the prophet went on to outline that there would be consequences for David's sin. What did you realize Our sins always hurt other people, 
even the sins that we think are private and just either in our own minds or between us and nobody else. Our sins always have a consequence. And Nathan was honest about the devastation David's actions would cause to others. And you know what? We need to be honest with people too. We need to tell people, if you pursue that wrong relationship, you and others will get hurt. If you steal from your employer, you lose your job and your family will suffer. If you keep telling lies, keep on spinning the truth, no one will believe you. If, well, you maybe need to fill in the blanks. Honesty can sometimes be difficult. I'm sure I've told you before, but I I remember when I worked in the civil service in 1975-76, Uh, that there was a great scam we discovered going on. Uh, We had files that were lodged in what were called the 99s. And it was a a bit of the filing room where, for those of you younger, this is in the days before computers, okay? So there was this huge big filing room, and at the end of one section, uh, 99 was there. You went round the corner for 100, and there was a little shelf. Uh, kind of waste of space and uh, it was the case that people would put files on that shelf so if somebody was looking for file number X number whatever it is they couldn't find the file where it was and then of course during the day things couldn't be done because the files couldn't be found so people had to get overtime Uh, and in overtime the files were magically found in the 99s as we called them When I arrived into the office as a Christian, I said, no, I can't do that. Oh, if you don't do it, we'll all lose the overtime, you know, and and we need the overtime. Uh, If you don't do it, you, you blow the whistle and all the rest of us. Was it popular being honest? No. Uh, And did I handle it terribly well? No. But you know the way that we always say that be sure your sins will find you out. It was quite interesting. One of my best friends at the moment, his father was one of the highest-ranking civil servants in Northern Ireland. And I was round at uh, my friend's house one night, and his dad asked me about where I was working, not realizing his father had a very senior position in the civil service. Uh, I said to him about the 99s. A week later, a directive came down from on high, and it completely scuppered the whole situation. Didn't make me popular. They offer snitch. Sometimes we need tact and we need honesty. But the thing that comes to me above all with the story of Nathan was his sensitivity with God or to God. Did you notice at the beginning of chapter 12 it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. He didn't send anybody else. You're in the situation, and maybe people are telling lies about someone, maybe gossiping about someone. You're in the situation where somebody's doing something dishonest, and you know it's dishonest. You're in a situation where you see somebody making shipwreck of their lives, and the Lord says, I'm sending you, not leaving it to someone else, but I'm sending you. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. For you see, God had someone who was listening to him. 
God sent someone who was able to deliver a message from the Lord, not only calling David for his sin, but outlining all the blessings that God had given him. He was like the rich man in the story. He had so much. And indeed, he says through Nathan to David, you know, as if what I gave you wasn't enough, I would have given you more. And yet, like the rich man in the story, you plundered that poor man's precious little ewe lamb. And God sent Nathan. I think you and I would be better taking time in prayer before the Lord, studying the Scriptures, and listening to God before seeking to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice. But when the time comes to speak, we need courage and tact and honesty which are best served out of a relationship with the Lord, prompted by the Holy Spirit, we will speak out for him and serve truth and justice. There are some questions on the order of service we'd love to encourage you to take away with you and maybe think them through personally or in your small group if you belong to one. Uh, And... uh, Those are not read them, but they're there printed on the front of the order of service. But just before Stephen and team come back on stage to lead our final worship, let us pray together and let us ask that God would help us to know how to respond to his word this morning. Let's pray. And Father, as we bow before you this morning, it may be that in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools or colleges or wherever we find ourselves from day to day, we may be aware of people who are spreading lies or gossip. We may be aware of people who are entering into relationships that are outside of the remit of your word. We may be aware of people who are treating others unfairly, people being dishonest. Would you help us, Lord, to be mouthpieces for truth and justice, not with arrogance or swagger or with tactlessness or anything that would be negative, but to have the courage, the honesty, and the tact and the sensitivity to your voice to know what to say. And help us to make our world, our society, a better place by recognizing that you call us to be mouthpieces for truth and justice. And Father, we confess that as we bow before you that it may be actually that you would send a Nathan to us, to me, Maybe that some of us are those who need to hear you have taken that poor man's little lamb. Oh God, I pray that you would help us in whatever situation that we may find ourselves in. If we have done anything illegal, dishonest, unethical, immoral, if we have blackened someone's reputation, if we have treated someone unfairly, unjustly, then would you help us to be open to the man or woman of God who would call us 
for the wrong that we do. And just as we think of that and contemplate it, let me read as we remain in an attitude of prayer the very words that David penned having heard what Nathan said. Words that bring us life and bring us hope. And David said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast and unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. And on this Pentecost Sunday, when we thank you, O God, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, when we remember that Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. On this Pentecost Sunday, we join with King David in saying, do not cast me from your presence or take from me your Holy Spirit, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. Let's just pause for a moment of stillness. Lord, hear our prayers and make us mouthpieces for truth and justice. Amen.